Good morning. You're listening to Wake the F Up on 101.5 UMFM. We air on Thursdays from 11 a.m. until noon, and we are a local feminist radio show that tries to do an intersectional analysis wherever possible. My name's Christina. I use pronouns she, her, and I have a guest with me here today if you'd like to introduce yourself. For sure. My name is uh, Dana Wazik. Hello, uh, very lovely folks. And um, we're going to be talking about uh, neurodiversity and some similar topics and how they relate to uh, feminism and intersectionality and Mm -hmm. some of my own experiences. Uh, And definitely, I just want to say that uh, there is a whole variety of topics in in this in this field and that my experiences do not you know speak for everybody the old saying goes uh, if you've met one person who's neurodivergent you've only met one person who's neurodivergent i love that <laughs> that's great great and uh and your pronouns uh he is okay uh i do i'm, I'm okay with going by they so either uh one to your liking is uh fine sure sounds great the UMFM is located on the stolen lands of Anishinaabeg, Nihaiwak, Cree, OG Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and on the homeland of the Métis Nation. We respect the treaties that were made on these territories. We acknowledge the harms and mistakes of the past and those that are still ongoing in the present. We acknowledge our privilege as settlers on this land, and we dedicate ourselves to move forward in partnership with Indigenous communities in a spirit of decolonization and collaboration. So as Dana mentioned, uh, we're here to talk about neurodiversity, which is very exciting. Um, It's not something that we've gotten to talk on this show yet, and it is absolutely a whole wide world. Like you said, if you meet one person that's neurodiverse, you've just met one person. So there's, <laughs> there's, there could be an infinite ground to cover, um, but we're going to get started with it here today. So um, do we want to start off with you telling us about um, some of your like past and current diagnoses? Absolutely. Uh, so when I was uh, a wee little boy, I, um, I wasn't actually diagnosed with uh, high-functioning Asperger's until I was actually in, I believe it was junior high, right at the end of junior high and going into high school. I, I did see like uh, school counselors for a bit, and I think it was due to some, um, I think, uh, learning developments that uh, you know my parents noted, and there was specific subjects that I would seem to you know excel very strongly, and in other ones I'd I'd struggle and struggle, and I guess over the years uh, through you know, the, the knowledge base that psychologists and everybody have been collecting, they kind of uh, thought, oh, uh, you know, you might have Asperger's. And uh, so I didn't know anything about that when I was at that age. And I kind of, you know, just took it with a grain of salt. And I was like, you know, what a teenager does and just goes along with their day. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I, certain aspects, like when I look back, I can see ways that it has affected me and ways that it is has not affected me or it even helped me in certain situations but Mm -hmm. I think looking back it was definitely a lot of social aspects and Mm -hmm. when you take a look at my timeline I I have had a lot of experiences that kind of made me question if that diagnosis was still you know uh, true for me and um, I think it is in certain aspects and that's what kind of led me to uh, seek a second diagnosis when I was you know out of college into my second job um, because over the years, you know, I've developed some really, really excellent social skills and it, it just didn't make sense to me. Like, how could I have a diagnosis that, you know, it's talked about with a lot of the difficulties and a lot of the communication and social skill difficulties, but I seem to, you know, have a lot of strengths in certain areas and some other ones I just felt very, you know, behind. And so, um, what I later found out was I actually, so my journey led me to seek a different diagnosis at the mm-hmm. psychological center here at U of M. And uh, so they said that it was possible that I could have ADHD, but it wasn't clinically significant. And they still saw, they were able to, um, uh, like they could see that I had, you know, traits of Asperger's, but it also wasn't clinically significant enough to, you know, uh, have me come in for, you know, further testing or uh, different types of counseling and et cetera. And that kind of left me feeling, you know, very uh, dissatisfied because a lot of the other counselors that I've seen throughout my life and a lot of the other uh, support groups and stuff, you know, I'd have these experiences that I'd share with everybody else and we all had similar um, feelings about that. And I was just mm-hmm. like, huh, like what, what gives here? Mm-hmm. And so like being the bookworm that I am, I had done so much reading on the subject uh, and one thing led to another and I found a little clinic 
in, in uh, Winnipeg. It's called the ADD Center, which does, they do diagnosis testing, mostly for uh, ADHD, but they also do, I think, uh, support for, I think, uh, Asperger's as well. But mm-hmm. uh, don't quote me on that because uh, it's been a while since I uh, looked up some more information. I, I went to a few uh, uh, tutoring sessions there and I, I learned a great deal. But at my point in my life, I'm kind of on other projects. So um, uh, sometimes I go on tangents. So if I'm kind of pausing, I that's me just trying to gather my thoughts because there's so much information mm-hmm. that I can share. So oh yeah, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. And I'm I'm always fascinated by every story you have. So so you go <laughs> off. <laughs> okay, uh, where was it again? Um, um, so you were talking about how you were diagnosed um, with Asperger's, and then um, to my understanding, it's kind of sounding like um, they found it clinically significant when you were younger. Yeah. And then yeah. when you went for retesting, um, you tested again for Asperger's and also for ADHD, but neither of them were. Yeah. Clinically clinically significant but of course you know it impacted you know your entire life and how how you operate in the world today absolutely i actually okay so i got a great idea uh so in in seeking that other diagnosis when i found that uh, add center the in their tests they showed that there was actually some significant uh, uh differences there that uh, led to my new diagnosis of being um uh, on the ADHD spectrum of the inattentive subtype, or they call it inattentive presentation. So there's three different types. There's the hyperactive presentation, which is the you know stereotypical, uh, can't sit still, fidgety. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more uh, nuances than that. So I'm just you know giving a quick uh, generalization. But mm-hmm. there's that plus there's the inattentive, which is you know the daydreamy aspects, the creative ideas, and there's co- uh, the combined presentation, which uh, kind of combine more aspects and like I said I want to be very careful because a lot of these are on a spectrum and a person with an attentive subtype may have you know a collection of traits and symptoms and another person with an attentive may also have similar but different and you can have a person who is hyperactive who has you know traits of inattentive so mm-hmm. it really depends on the clinician uh, there's a book called um, delivered from distraction by Dr. Edward Howell and he talks about how it is so important to have a differential diagnosis when Mm -hmm. you're kind of going through a journey of this uh, not only from you know a clinical psychologist but you know school nurses uh, Mm -hmm. so differential diagnosis means like multiple people that have your history okay and they can they can speak for you on how they've gotten to know you over the years and and your kind of characteristics and mannerisms and some of the difficulties you face as Mm -hmm. well as you know clinical history of for pe- uh, for persons who ha- need medication uh, for certain symptoms, what types that they have responded to and which ones they haven't. And I can go on another topic about that later because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's so much new information about medications that a lot of the older information is really just uh, archaic and ancient now. And totally. uh, but it is it does serve a purpose to kind of you know help build on the knowledge. But anyways, yeah, going back to uh, what I was saying about earlier when I was diagnosed with Asperger's is I think. What the uh, uh, clinic at U of M thought was that because of the, they've seen my successes through uh, college and my uh, uh, f- surviving my first two jobs, they saw, you know, well-adjusted adult and mm-hmm. my social skills that I presented to them, they kind of saw a transparency like that can show up on testing. There's a lot of, uh, you know, subjectivity and there's also... A, I might get this term wrong. It is subjective. Yeah. Like, what is, like, what you know, is well-adjusted? Yeah, you know mm-hmm. lab coat syndrome when, mm-hmm. when somebody is observing you and you perform better under that circumstance? That's a huge factor mm-hmm. in getting a diagnosis, too. Right. And Absolutely. Yeah. It's just one snapshot. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that makes sense with you explaining how a differential diagnosis is absolutely more important. Yeah. Maybe one day we'll have like a thing in Black Mirror where you can reverse all the videotapes and then get a complete <laughs> picture. But <laughs> That would be a good way to get a diagnosis. <laughs> Um, okay, so that's, wow, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, you were uh, telling me about how it sort of affected, like, your career choices and sort of career path. Yeah, I, w- I would say that on in that, it's more of a, a self, for me, in my experience, it's kind of more of a self-awareness and interest-based thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, I throughout my life, I go through a lot of periods where I have, like, intense hobbies and passions and hyper-focus periods where it seems like that's what I've, you know, been meant to do and where I excel at. So 
uh, throughout my life, I've been into, you know, intense interests such as, you know, martial arts, uh, mm-hmm. airplanes and military aircraft. Uh, totally. Uh, biology and carnivorous plants was a big thing for me. And even random things like uh, power lines and engineering stuff. And it was just totally random. My parents were like, what the heck is this kid into? <laughs> I think when I first yeah. met you, you were super into Muay Thai, uh, Muay Thai and like making music. Yeah, I'm still into the music and mm-hmm. I'm kind of taking a little break from martial arts and a lot of the intense stuff because uh, I find that just with all the things that I'm involved with, it's 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 you have to really dedicate a lot of time to uh, uh, mixed martial arts. It's mm. it's super intense. Like when I was going four days a week, uh, eventually I, I burned out and I had to tone it back. But for those few months that I was going four days a week or four days a week, man, I was in the best shape of my life. Oh yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Um, so uh, people have, I, I, I don't know if we've, have we said the word neurodiverse yet? Uh, I, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> but That's anyways, a great Yeah, right. I guess yeah. it was the first thing you said. You were like, this is what we're going to talk about today. But I guess we should, <laughs> we can we can tell people a little bit about what neurodiversity is. And you are so well prepared. You came with, uh, with a little explanation. I did, yeah. There's actually, so there's a lot of different uh, conversations that you'll come across with when you're speaking and, you know, uh, discussion groups, whether it's online or even in person in local support groups. Uh, um, because it's, you know, as society progresses and we learn more things, you know, terminology is always going to change and that one label isn't going to apply to everything and that can mm-hmm. definitely be flexible. And uh, in, in my own words, in my experience, uh what I so what I think neurodiversity is, it's whole. It's kind of like a whole field of awareness and recognition, and a combination of brain differences and neurological uh, wiring along different spectrums, and that also includes uh, everything from uh, autism spectrum disorders, Asperger's, which uh, has been differently classified in the DSM, which I can go into later, that has some implications in supports and resources for persons on the spectrum. Uh, that can be a whole different tangent. Uh, mm-hmm. It includes um, uh, ADHD and different learning uh, disabilities, as well as there has been some um, discussions on whether or not to include uh, different types of uh, uh, mood disorders and bipolar, uh, different aspects of borderline, schizophrenia, and certain anxiety disorders. Now, that that's a very, very diverse topic. And totally. In, in my experience, I don't have the expertise to say what is included and what is not, but this is, you know, what I've been Just learning. like a brief introduction, yeah, because there's absolutely. a lot of people who have never heard this term at all. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a really, like, even as a person who's, who uh, has a lot of these experiences, I'm learning some, something new every day when I read about this. So it's mm-hmm. definitely will be an enlightening conversation for both of us. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, just uh, some of the things that I also kind of um, thought of was uh, uh, neurodiversity also aims to not only to recognize these differences, but, you know, accommodations in society and removing barriers that uh, different people face because there are specific mm-hmm. ways that our life is impacted based on, you know, different types of executive functioning and how sensory processing can affect, you know, uh, our mental health as well as just certain tasks when it comes to, you know, like uh, socializing, occupational work, uh, relationships, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. It's it, it's a huge impact, and it's, it's one of those things that uh, uh, really, once you kind of, uh, learn about it it opens up doors so like learning about how um uh, kind of tripping over my words here uh, how it might impact more yeah. and more areas of your life absolutely it's kind of like you're just you're just touching the tip of the iceberg there's mm-hmm. such a huge world mm-hmm. absolutely and that's the one thing too is that as we continue to have more conversations it kind of allows um people who are you know uh neurodivergent and not neurodivergent to recognize these things and to kind of start having these conversations and questions about, you know, what kind of things are helpful for everybody and how we can uh, make, uh, you know, society inclusive for everybody. And that definitely includes, you know, uh, removing barriers and uh, having accommodations. Uh, I guess if a good example of an accommodation, just for anybody who's not aware, uh, if you're, you know, you know, for maybe students that are kind of starting out in university and college and post-secondary education is having things like uh, access to uh, alternative um, learning materials, mm-hmm. uh, maybe 
audio and text differences in mm-hmm. lectures, the ability to have, you know, extra time on tests, um, mm-hmm. different types of instruction. It, 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 it's, uh, it's a huge variety of different things, and each, each um, learning center in a uh, educational institution will have their own um, different resources. So it's one of those things. If mm-hmm. you if you believe that you're uh, diagnosed, or if you're seeking a diagnosis, that is a great way to start. Is to go to those uh, learning centers mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. just to seek help. Even if you don't know where to start, just going in the front door is the the best way to go. Yeah. Even here at the University of Manitoba, it's the Student Accessibility Center. Um, one of my friends. Uh, I love her so much. I, I just had to say that uh, she, <laughs> she has ADHD, um, and I was just talking to her recently. So I just I'm just so hyped. But um, she uh, yeah she went to Student Accessibility uh, Services and she was able to get permissions to record all her lectures so that she could go back home and listen to them later. And she would have like her own room for exam time and everything. So absolutely like those things can be yeah provided yeah. for students who need it. That's a, a very helpful one too because uh, a lot of times when you're in a, a lecture environment sometimes due to the amount of people and there could be noises a lot of that can affect sensory processing and that can cause you know like uh, just in my experience uh, anxiety is a huge block for learning like um, mm-hmm. just uh, I might go on a, a real psychology uh, uh, nerdy tangent here, but uh, ready for it. <laughs> oh, yeah. as oh, a you shouldn't have started. You shouldn't as have started. As a psychology grad, I am so ready for it. Please, <laughs> please hit me with that psychology. <laughs> We're gonna get into the, I guess, the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system. But that's, I'm ready. Buckle, oh, yeah, buckling up. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a huge. That's a huge part of uh, uh, the experience in in being. Uh, neurodivergent is that our our nervous systems uh, can sometimes work in very different ways and they can be very responsive to certain things and uh, so like uh, sensory overload whether it's you know a combination of sounds lights uh, just physical presence of a lot of people and uh, and you know like even physical cues and visual cues such as cluttered areas that can have a huge impact on our nervous system and what happens is when there are as a lot of that overwhelm that can mm-hmm. trigger our uh, nervous system to go into you know a state of either fight flight or freeze mm-hmm. and what happens is when you're in that state it actually prevents you from learning new information this is something that i just learned recently and interesting yeah if you're in, uh, if anybody's interested in kind of doing some more reading on this uh there's a newer theory that expands upon the fight or flight uh response it's called the fight flight or freeze and it has to do with mm-hmm. the polyvagal theory by uh a guy named Stephen Porges, uh, he's done a lot of research on that, and it has huge implications for, you know, treatment of PTSD as well as uh, treatments for different uh, um, spectrums in the autism spectrum. And uh, I said that twice, <laughs> and <laughs> it's good. just yeah, it's a huge. It o- opens up a lot more opportunities for newer treatments. And but anyways, before I get on that tangent, uh, <laughs> uh, sensory processing. Okay, yeah. So how that affects sensory processing and vice versa is that. If you're in a state of overwhelm due to whatever your nervous system is hypersensitive to, that prevents you from learning and absorbing information. That mm-hmm. can create a spiral of, you know, anxiety and just feeling that you're not, you know, performing academically the way you want to. Mm-hmm. And it can be very um, discouraging uh, when you're going through that. And so what the some of these uh, combinations help with is that you can go to a different environment where you might not be... Uh, triggered and your nervous system is more at ease and then you're able to process information and you're able to um, encode that in your memory better you know whatever ways you learn and etc and uh, sometimes you know you might have the experience of you know uh, grinding through a lecture for three hours not getting anything absorbed and then you go home and you read a quick excerpt that was recorded you might absorb it in like you know in that short period of time just because the environment has changed and your your nervous system is more at ease yeah. What I'm loving about your explanation of neurodiversity is that you're not pathologizing it at all. And that's, I guess, the whole that's the whole goal of, you know, coining this term neurodiversity, because we want to yeah. get away from this idea that there's something wrong with yeah. people. That's a wonderful point, Christina. Uh, actually, I was going to mention that, too. Um, as far as a lot of the uh, conversations on neurodiversity, you might often hear people talk about, you know, the symptoms mm-hmm. and the the aspects that are often you know portrayed in the media a lot of a lot of television shows and series will uh, savant syndrome yeah savant mm-hmm. syndrome as well as you know the uh, the socially awkwardness and like a mm-hmm. perfect example is like you know the big bang theory 
Mm, um, yeah. That's a great example of um, stere stereotyping uh, uh, high-functioning autism and, and As Asperger's syndrome. And what often happens is that leaves out different parts of the spectrum that maybe have more uh, difficulties with certain types of functioning or, you know, very, very high functioning where it might not even be apparent at all. So that's where the whole um, aspect of putting things into binaries, whether you have it or not, that's that's a tricky uh, um, it's a tricky situation to be in because a lot of people love to use labels and binaries because it's just a, it's a, it's a heuristic. It's easier to categorize. It's a heuristic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. just a simple organization. Yeah. And mm -hmm. then they can kind of go along with their day and they'll have to think about it instead of kind of mm -hmm. delving into the bigger picture. Right. But then when you have a term like neurodiversity, it yeah. makes it very clear right from the get go. It's like, OK, this is definitely pointing to something larger. And it's pointing to, as you were telling me before, like it's describing different developmental and neurological differences. And it just completely gets away from that you know the the simple heuristic absolutely and even on the other side of the coin too is uh uh you know like it's one thing to recognize you know the pathologies but also to recognize that sometimes the positive aspects and the gifts might be overemphasized in certain uh media often you might hear for example like you said you know savant uh characteristics or people that you know have found their their gift and their calling and they've made a name for themselves in a, whatever industry mm -hmm. you know like Let's take an example. Uh, there was, uh, I think, a documentary on a person who, you know, had this like insanely detailed memory and could, you know, paint like cityscapes from like a helicopter. Right, right. I, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure if he was diagnosed with autism, but it, it was. I, I'm pretty sure he was. So if if I'm getting that wrong, you can definitely check out the that uh, documentary on YouTube later on. But. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it was just basically the whole thing was uh, really emphasizing that, you know, this person had this gift and that, you know, was this, you know, amazing artist and everything. And what happens is that can gloss over the difficulties that that person may have in their everyday life and, and, and certain functioning mm -hmm. and that it's really you have to include it all. And mm -hmm. that's where, you know, the, the diversity aspect comes into mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. looking at it through all different kinds of lenses. Absolutely. So we don't want to over pathologize. We don't want to over glorify. We exactly. just want to be realistic yeah um so um that's about coming to the end for our first half hour so we're just going to take a little break here and then we're going to come back in a minute here with our discussion on neurodiversity with dana Hello there and welcome back to Wake the F Up on UMFM 101.5 UMFM. Uh, my name is Christina and I'm here with a lovely guest, Dana. Hello. And we are having a conversation on neurodiversity. Um, so before we go further, uh, delve further into our conversation, um, should we just describe a little bit about what, uh, what a couple terms are, um, neurotypical and allistic? Absolutely. Uh, so uh, uh, there's a term that actually just came to my awareness recently, um, which is uh, allistic. And uh, in my research, personal research and my experiences, I've mostly been familiar with uh, neurodivergence and uh, neurotypical, uh, those mm -hmm. types of categories. And what I have uh, learned is that there is kind of a movement going away from neurotypical almost away from that normalization yeah uh, the yeah. tendency to go into there it's making it sound like neurotypical is quote-unquote normal yeah yeah and there's so much variety and so much different aspects in the spectrum mm -hmm. and uh what a term that is being used now i don't know the exact date that it was coined but some reports said that it was you know around 2003 in some online discussion forums uh and that is uh allistic uh a-l-l-i-s T-I-C, I think that's the way it's spelled. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> and it just basically just describes, you know, a person who is not on, you know, the autism spectrum or ADHD or, you know, a specific learning disability that would be mm -hmm. kind of grouped in. So yeah, it's basically so not yeah. neurodiverse, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think the uh, term was actually, it might have been a play on words, but that's just a whole different uh, subject. So it's, yeah, it's... Mm -hmm. it, that is a terminology that I will, you know, try to incorporate uh, as much as possible since it seems to be gaining a lot of momentum. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and you were telling me about how um, 
people who are uh, making an effort to accommodate neurodiversity, um, some things that they should be careful of. So you, you, told, you told me about employers in general, but in general, I think it would just really be great for people to know, like, how do you accommodate neurodiversity? Um, so what are some important points to that? And Absolutely. Uh, so it is very different uh, from individual to individual, and one person's accommodations might be another person's uh, things that are sticking points for them. But uh, essentially having a conversation with, you know, a perspective, uh, sorry, um, a possible employer and employee and et cetera, et cetera, um, is just to have that like that one-on-one conversation on what the person really needs to do their best it's it's not a matter of you know like uh it's really like a human conversation um without thinking of any specific diagnosis or labels it's just about without going into it with stigmas basically just open it up ask them be like what what do you need here and really just ask and be open to the answer yeah yeah and then of course um as we were speaking before you know people have uh, they might glorify or they might pathologize so you know don't tokenize or commodify the person that you're trying to help out of course yeah yeah um yeah um and i have uh I have a big question for, for you. Sure. Um, so what areas of your life would it say it impacts um, quite strongly? I would say for sure the uh, the career aspect. Uh, it's one of those things that um, for me, I guess my definition and my relationship with, you know, the whole career field has, has changed quite a bit in doing my own, you know, self, uh, uh, you know, self development and uh just learning more about myself mm-hmm. well i guess everything i suppose yeah yeah it kind of comes in waves like earlier in my life like you know in like in my college years definitely with the relationships like dating relationships was a huge aspect where i i spent a lot of time learning about it i've had i've went through kind of a few paths and tangents that weren't you know the healthiest for me but uh the and more then you did your explorations in ethical non-monogamy absolutely that's a huge uh topic too that it's just allowed me to change my view on you know the different expectations that society has with relationships and mm-hmm. honestly when you have this really widened perspective of basically going at any aspect in life on what it is that that makes you uniquely human and how do you relate to to everybody and and finding your tribe uh people who just they get you it's it's the first and foremost thing is to find the people that you click with first and um uh sorry i'm kind of going on a tangent here a little yeah, bit no, of a no brain worries. Yeah, no that's okay <laughs> you know uh, we're talking about what areas of your life it impacts and I, i'm really curious to know um kind of how it impacts how you um perceive yourself oh that is a excellent uh, point uh so when you start to discover who it is behind, you know, the labels behind the, uh, you know, say gifts or difficulties that a person goes through, mm-hmm. uh, this thing that we call life, it's often, it's almost more like a feeling. It's almost like it's really hard to describe in words because, you know, you could try to quantify all these topics of you know like say self-confidence self-esteem mental health it's it's really right how how do you feel when you're sitting with yourself whether or not you're surrounded by people or you know in a quiet room reflecting it's like what what do you feel like when you're sitting with yourself and oftentimes it takes a long time to come to the point where you just you feel like you're resonating whether it's uh in you know the area of the career dating relationships uh um you know your hobbies and etc it's it's one of those things that i i i am definitely having a hard time putting in words because mm-hmm. I've, I've had mm-hmm. a few experiences myself that uh not necessarily related to neurodiversity but just uh kind of a spiritual thing in meditation um going through my mental health journey and 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 learning what is the best uh the types of people that I really connect well with the types of uh, conversations that I love having and um, the things that bring me joy and make me feel alive. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're doing a really great job describing how it sort of impacts uh, your sense of self essentially and all these different things that impacted. And you mentioned community and I want to come back to that point. Um, But I want to ask you first, um, what is something that you really wish people understood? Um, 
also a big question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> basically, just basically sit down and, and, and know that you are seeing through the eyes of another human being that goes through all the same, has the same hopes and dreams, uh, struggles, worries, uh, securities and insecurities mm -hmm. that everybody goes to sleep with. And yeah. when we're all, you know, at the end of our life looking back, what do we want to remember? It's how how we felt and how we made others feel. And so it's like we're all in this human experience and some of us may have specific, you know, brain wiring that makes us, you know, a bit more... Um, you know adapt at certain things or maybe have difficulties mm -hmm. in certain areas but in the end that's really what matters is that we're all having a human experience here yeah i think you just did a really excellent job describing uh, describing something that that we all want really you yeah, know yeah. we all want to have that human experience and we all want people to look at us and just you know level with us so yeah really well said um I think uh, this whole uh, finding your community point is really interesting, um, and you've you've definitely, um, well, I know because I know you personally. I know you've you've just <laughs> dipped your toes in so much. Um, but do you want to talk more on that point? Just kind of like how you know Absolutely. finding communities. I'll give you an example. I guess from my personal life, uh, my the communities that I have found that I have just really really resonated with is. Uh, you know, the science community, uh, the psychology community, like, you know, going, taking part-time classes here and there and learning about myself and, and realizing there's so many people who share the same interests and the same emotions and the same, they have the same goals that they want to see everybody around them have an incredible life where they just feel really connected. It, 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 like I said before, it's a very visceral feeling that you kind of only know when you're there and experiencing it. And, uh, a really good thing that helps with that is, you know, the exploring, sitting, sitting in your comfort zone, although it's easy and sometimes you might need to do that at times if you're feeling overwhelmed, mm -hmm. the best thing you can do is just to go and explore. There's so many different types of, you know, for example, groups on meetup.com, uh, you know, there's different kinds of seminars for your particular interests and hobbies. Uh, just by going there, you will it is guaranteed you'll meet people who have think like you and who go through very similar uh circumstances and the same human experiences and just knowing that you're not alone is such a huge thing because a lot of times mm -hmm. there is a lot of you know self-isolation right especially if you have you know if you're going through say depression and anxiety and that that often is part and parcel of being in the neurodivergence uh spectrum just because of whether it's you know uh daily life rubbing against you know executive functioning or being right. misunderstood and you know ha being labeled and having difficult situations and you know struggling with getting the accommodations that help you succeed and everything a lot of that can take a toll and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. by connecting with people that you know understand you that really helps take the edge off and it's just it, it can open doors for you to find you know your mm -hmm. niche and like going back to the topic of career it's not so linear like a lot of times we kind of have these expectations where people have to find their you know specific path like point a to point b what's the next step what's the next career the next job and everything like that well mm -hmm. it's kind of like it's almost like spaghetti where oh. <laughs> you're never going to go from one straight point a to b it's you're going to go all over the place right. and that's the beauty of it when you look yeah. back when you look back in your life and say how did i get from this point to that point it really doesn't matter because you you have all these experiences that build you up into who you are and mm -hmm. the the more diverse and random these things are the more it just it, it's it's such a beautiful feeling like and i had a, i had a, a spiritual experience uh several weeks ago um that just made me feel very grateful that i have been doing the work in exploring these different areas and, and meeting different kinds of people mm -hmm. and um that itself that's that kind of feeling to me is more important than finding you know the most lucrative career or the most lucrative job or whatnot yeah i think that, so yeah that can alone can steer you into the direction where you think oh this is may, this might be a field where i resonate and mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. the opportunities kind of they come knocking at your door instead of you having to always search for things like that but right. d definitely going out there and meeting people and yeah so it's about taking that leap yeah. and like it's 
it can take so much bravery and so much courage. And if we have, you know, the ability and the privilege to be able to go into the world and to go and meet all these different peoples and all these different spaces, it, you know, it can change your life. And if you can successfully find a community of people um, where you can feel understood, that's, that's so like, you just start to learn things about yourself and your, your sense of identity that you would never learn in a in a space where you may not have realized that you felt unsafe or felt that you couldn't share things so yeah that's so so true and that that also brings up a great point too in in you know the design of spaces that are more friendly to uh, neurodivergent individuals uh, mm-hmm. it's it's kind of a newer thing but a lot of uh, 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 companies that you know uh, build infrastructure are starting to realize that you know how we interact with you know physical aspects of the environment really affect how we interact psychologically oh yeah and you know like building uh let's say you know rooms facilities that are just more friendly to sensory processing yeah that have the ability for people to you know go into areas where they need to take moments to uh to kind of feel more calm and at ease and kind of go back to other um Oh, that's such a cool topic. I can go on this for hours because I was reading about it <laughs> in, you know, like uh, um, urban design and everything oh, like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, like I know there's like uh, there's a grocery store in Winnipeg that recently like uh, implemented sensory hours. I think that was, was that on a Tuesday evening or something? Uh, I, c- I couldn't tell you the specifics, but if you just Google like oh, Winnipeg. Oh, Mall or maybe, something? Maybe, yeah. maybe. If you just Google grocery store sensory hours. That's a Winnipeg, brilliant idea. Yeah, yeah and they've in- implemented that. So that's that's fantastic. Yeah, they've gotten a lot of feedback too that I heard. Uh, that it's just it's so much easier especially for families who have children who are neurodivergent mm-hmm. it they're not you know bombarded by you know super bright lights and sounds i think mm-hmm. they actually turn down the lights to a yeah. degree that's just a lot easier mm-hmm. and um and i, I think yeah. they turn off the music like stuff like that yeah 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 super cool yeah um and in terms of the uh the communities thing there was this book that you were telling me about Oh, yes. Uh, so there's a book called Neurotribes by Steve Silberman. And um, it, it kind of just goes along the history of uh, neurodiversity. And it, I think it talks about some more modern topics as well. But it gives you a really good kind of synopsis of uh, the awareness of all this stuff. And uh, you can also kind of find a few interviews and podcasts by him as well. And he's a really great uh, uh, speaker, too. Mm-hmm. And um I still have to go through quite a few more of his stuff, but I highly recommend that, and it's a great resource along with the book uh, "Delivered from Distraction." They are about different you know, topics. One is about ADHD, and one's about uh, the autism spectrum and uh, Asperger's as well. Mm-hmm. And um, but there is there is a lot of convergence. Like even in my own experience, like I have a lot of traits that sometimes I wonder: is that you know? the aspects of you know the Asperger's or is that the aspects of the ADHD and at, right. the, at the same time it's kind of like sometimes it doesn't matter and sometimes it may matter for a certain situation but it's really like that just variety in in wiring that it makes like it makes you think oh like whatever what side it's on I feel that relieved that there's going to be other people who have that same experience and that you know mm-hmm. uh, uh, that yeah on a visceral level you just you know that somebody else has gone through that too that's true yeah um absolutely fascinating um we definitely have a few more minutes here so uh we can uh dive into we've covered so much ground we've covered so (laughs) much good ground um i will never get over your immense ability to like explain things so clearly thank you like (laughs) just and and for your openness like i just really want to thank you for you know being willing to share your story that's that's really um maybe there's somebody listening hopefully that they'll be able to learn something and relate to you and that's you know super important um so uh, so really just uh, hammering out the intersectional analysis on neurodiversity. So, of course, um, people who are neurodiverse are experiencing this as an additional intersection with whatever other, I'm saying intersection a lot, but with whatever other intersectionalities they may have. So, um, you know, this is 
a neurodiverse person may experience ableism uh, and a person who experiences racism uh, will be uh, doubly uh, sort of oppressed in that regard. Um, another one that, that you had brought up uh, to me earlier uh, is uh, how somebody's socioeconomic status can be a really huge factor in terms of accesses to re- uh, access to resources, um, access to counseling so you can get proper diagnoses, um, things like that. Uh, did you have anything to add to that? I was just going to mention that that's a it's it's so important that uh, we really kind of get uh, political when it comes to having more access to these resources mm-hmm. for all backgrounds because that is such an overlooked thing that when you hear a lot of you know let's say positive stories on the media about persons who are you know overcoming the barriers and mm-hmm. getting these access access to these resources a lot of times it portrays you know the the privileged individuals and the ones who do not have to go through the barriers of, uh, you know, having difficulties, you know, accessing counseling mm-hmm. and, and going through maybe private options that might be more expedient when it comes to finding diagnosis. Because sometimes you have to go through the public system, like for a person who maybe can't afford, you know, to go to a private clinic to get the diagnosis, they would have to go through, you know, their their primary pr- or uh, primary caregiver, sorry, no, primary care provider, <laughs> and oftentimes that comes with a long wait list, just the way that things work in mm-hmm, this province, mm-hmm. and so yeah, so kind of systemic yeah. barriers, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So make mental health intersectional, basically, absolutely. <laughs> Well, this has been a really, really excellent conversation. Uh, As I said, you know, covered a lot of ground. And uh, I guess that'll be uh, the end of our show today. Um, As usual, if you have any uh, comments or suggestions for future shows, you can hit us up on our Instagram or Twitter. Both of them are Wake the F Up UMFM. Um, And and Dana, you have uh, said that if people wanted to hear more ideas from you, like you're super open to questions. So uh, viewers, you can just shoot us a message on that Instagram. um, And and thank you so much dana like really welcome back anytime you have brilliant thoughts and, and you know we're always happy to hear thank you so much christina i, re- I really appreciate it and i'm always looking forward to come back for another round and uh absolutely go through uh, more details because i just love having conversations like this and it, it's just such a growing awareness and i feel alive yeah when uh, engaged in this topic yeah when you can like be fully honest about yourself thanks so much dana thank you
Separate from my pride 